Aloha, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Super grateful to have you join us. And I'm even more grateful to have my guest on today. His name is Michael Episcope. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Peely, for having me. Super excited. So everyone, 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 Michael is principal of Origin Investment, co-chairs the investment committee and oversees investor relations, marketing, and, com and company operations. Origin is in the top 1%. Again, Origin is in the top 1% of private real estate North America focused fund managers by Prequin. Michael brings 25 years of investment and risk management experience to the company and believes that calculated risk taking in inefficient markets is the key to building wealth. We'll get back to that. He regularly contributes to Forbes, looks for him, Forbes Entrepreneur and HuffPost, as well as frequently speaks on real estate investment panels and podcasts. Welcome to the show again, Michael. Thank you. Great. So, and I, I want to clarify, uh, we're no longer in the top 1%. So we, we've actually stopped saying that. I think we got kicked to 2%. But that was done by Prequin, which is a third-party rating system. And they, they look at the returns of more than 2,000 managers across the globe. So rather than go through this 1%, 2%, now we just say we're top decile because we're confident that we're going to stay there. But I, I just wanted to clarify that if you were. Well, thank you for the clarification. Instead of 1%, he's in the top and his company is in the top 2% instead. That is, that makes a huge difference. That doesn't tell me anything else, but you are awesome. So let's start from the beginning, Michael. Why real estate? Why did you get into it? And let's go from there. Yeah, great question. And I'll, I'll take you back because I sort of have a non-traditional route into real estate. And my first career was as a commodities trader. Uh, and I started down at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange when I was 19 years old. I was actually in school. I got a summer job. I loved it. Um, I'm here in Chicago. I'm still here today. And Chicago is the commodities trading capital of the world. And this is where the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is, the Chicago Board of Trade, the Options Exchange. So anybody who has gone to college here, you know, has touched it in one way or the other. And I went down there and just loved it. And I decided that that's where I really wanted to stay. I, I'd always loved to work. So I pushed my classes tonight, burned the candle at both ends. And I was a clerk. I was at the lowest level you could possibly be. I think I was making $363 a week. I was running orders. I was meeting people, working my way up. And I did that for about uh, six years. And then I ended up um, going... Um, getting hired as a broker. I did that for a couple of years, decided I didn't really uh, love it. I wasn't passionate about it. And I really wanted to try my hand at trading. So through some relationships that I had made down there, I had got an opportunity and I was pretty good at it. So I started there in, um, you know, 1997, January of 97. And, you know, funny story, I'd actually broken my shoulder uh, uh, about three weeks before in a snowboarding accident. So I started very first day of my dream job. I have a sling on on my shoulder, just had surgery. I was on painkillers and standing there in the pit and, you know, everybody's pushing one another. I'm sure you've seen pictures of that, but that's how my career started off. But I, I can, you know, it was, it was uphill from there. I'll just say that and did really well. Um, ended up going off on my own two years later, back myself, my own capital, and just hit it hard for about the next seven or eight years. So I had a nine-year 
trading career where I just, I dug in and I, that's where I built my wealth. And, and when I started trading, I always, um, jokingly, I say to my boss, who I still keep in touch with today, but I'm like, thank God you didn't pay me more money because I would have never gone and been a trader. And so, um, you know, it worked out for the best. Uh, I ended up, you know, just throughout that, I think nine years later, I punched out of that business in 2005 for a couple of reasons. Number one, my risk profile had changed. And when I started in the business, I was single. I didn't really have any net worth. Um, and I had nothing to lose by going into it, right? But at the end, um, I had amassed a decent amount of net worth. And I'm like, nothing good can come out of staying here longer, right? If I stack up more chips, my life wasn't going to change. But if I take a lot away, they might. And you never know when one of these um, overnight standard deviations are going to happen, like a September 11th. And I've been through a lot, and I was really good at managing risk and managing my money um, during that period. So I just decided it's time to exit. But what also happened during that period is that I was married now and I had two kids and I had one on the way and I had people who relied on me and, and it was very different. And so I was just kind of, you know, I'd been down there since I was 19, I was 35 or 36 at the time and I was tired and I wanted to try something new. And the next stage was really managing my wealth because up to that point, I had lived out of my trading account. I had made money. That's where I pulled money out of for living expenses. And I'm like, okay, now it's time to turn my assets into income to grow them. And I've always had this, you know, just this fear of losing money and going broke. And I think from a little kid, I've always been a saver. And you hear all these stories about people who have made it and then lost it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of tragic stories especially from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, it's sort of like pro athletes, right? Who make a lot of money when they're younger, they don't do the right things. And all of a sudden they squander it, they make bad investments. And I didn't want to be that person. So I really want to be proactive. And the reason why real estate is because um, I got introduced to it when I was 12, 13 years old. Those are my summer jobs. My grandfather, he was in real estate, but I also just loved sort of the simplicity of it and the investment what it can do for your wealth, the, the passive tax efficient income, the ability to grow it, the simplicity around it. But unfortunately, when I invested in it passively, it was sort of two steps forward, one step back, couldn't find, you know, great partners um, with my money, you know, to be good stewards. And sometimes, you know, a couple of times, candidly, just got, you know, punched in the face or brick wall. And that wasn't fun. And it was Really, um, so I decided to go educate myself and I went back and I got a master's in real estate at DePaul University. So just retooled and, and I took 14 real estate classes. I developed a network. My partner and I um, got together too. I had known him for about four or five years. We had worked on a nonprofit together. We were really just like-minded about the way the world worked and believed that nobody would be better stewards of our money than us. He was already in real estate doing some stuff. And in 07, we got together and it was more like a family office, but we knew that we wanted to make it bigger than us. So even in 2007, we formed, um, at that time it was called Origin Capital, we've since switched the name to Origin Investments, but we knew we wanted to build something bigger beyond us. But at first it was, honestly, it was two guys buying real estate and, and just trying to buy the best deals they could for their money. And it, and it started really working and we were protecting ourselves. We were buying debt, we were finding good deals. And then in about 2009, we started inviting other people in. Um, 
friends and family, high net worth individuals. When we find great deals, we'd syndicate it. And then our fund business started in 2000, late 10 is when we concepted it. We launched Fund One in 2011. And that was really a, um, an opportunistic fund because that's what the environment was at that time. And we've just grown organically since then. But, but the whole thing that drove us and still drives us today is building that institutional platform for the individual investor. And what I mean by that is having an institutional quality team, people who really understand real estate, how we underwrite, evaluate deals, the PPM, all the terms in there, the fees, the client service, because when you think about what an institution is able to command when they're putting 20, 30, 40, $50 million in a fund, it's very different than when somebody's putting in a hundred thousand or $200,000. And so it's always been our, our vision and our goal to create that 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 platform for us, right? For people who are like us. And today, you know, I'm happy to say we uh, we have 2,000 investment partners. We have more than 30 registered investment advisors who we work with. Uh, we have three funds that are open and active right now. We're launching another fund next month. And what we do, it's very simple: is we help high net worth investors grow their wealth and generate tax efficient passive income through real estate investments. And specifically, we build, buy, and lend multifamily real estate in what I'll call the smile state. So Tennessee is actually one of our states. And Peely, I know you're there. It's one of our favorite states, as a matter of fact, right now. Mine too. Tennessee is one of my favorite states. I have so much to unpack right now. I love it. You just gave us basically the genesis of your real estate journey in all of, I think that was five minutes. So let's go back a little bit because I want to talk to your mindset because you are at a place where a lot of my listeners want to be. They have grown up whether wherever they started from, they're in real estate now, they are making a living now and they want to go to that institutional level. They want to create that fund. But what separates you? Because you said you started, you basically started building yourself up at the Chicago uh, mercantile exchange at 19 years old, and then you decided to become a trader. And then you've lived through September 11th. So what separates you? Because all I heard was growth throughout the entire time from 19 till now you grew and you knew how to protect yourself through these, through these life changes, through these situational things that have happened to all of us. So September 11th happens and you, you go through that. And then 2008 happens and you went through that. So these little pinpoints of time periods that you've dropped, you have, what I've heard is that you actually found a way to grow through that. So let's start with September 11th. How were you able to secure and perhaps save yourself and if you had investors investors at the time and grow out of that into what when you decided to leave um, your trading in 2005 so how did you during that time period how did you grow yeah i'll say one thing um you know kind of related that and this is at a very high level i have a um 
I guess two things, a fear of failure, right? So I think I go the extra mile and, you know, I believe a lot of people have that. And it's not that I don't, I just, you know, I, I can't think of life on the other side, right? And so that has always been a driver, you know, working hard, work ethic, but I don't have a fear of risk. And so a lot of people like that doesn't always correspond. And it was, and I don't know why, I don't know if I have, a, but I always tell people when I was a trader, I never thought about the money and it was, I just didn't, I just went in there making good trades and competing against others. And I, I didn't, you know, when things got out of hand, I knew like I had to cut my losses and be done and start over and do it again. And it's like any business out there, whether, or, or investment strategy, it's the law of large numbers. And, and you're going to lose on some investments out there, but over the long run, if you make good choices over and over and over and over, you're going to do well, right? And, and part of the good choices is just risk management, diversification. Now, that was like 2001 and there were there were plenty of other um, I, large uh, macro events that happened when I was trading that I could go through, but that was kind of the genesis. I was really good at keeping my position to a point where it never got away from me. And so that's, you know, kind of what I carry into real estate is just understanding um, the risk management side of it. And we have a saying, like, you only need to get rich once. And real estate is, is an investment strategy that is really great at keeping people wealthy and allowing them to maximize the benefits of their assets through the tax efficient private income, private um, side. But uh, candidly, you know, I was out of the market, not for the most part. I mean, I had investments in the market, but some of it was a little bit of luck. When David and I started Origin in 2007, the cracks were already showing. And we were out there looking at, at deals and nothing looked good. And we're like, that doesn't make sense. And suddenly it was, it was more about people wanting rescue capital because we're like, well, where do we want to position ourselves? And we're really learning and we're trying to figure out where we wanted to play. Do we want to be in value add? Do we want to be in development? Do we want to be in the debt side? And to us having money, we're like, well, you know what, like a nice stream of income makes sense for us. And so we were looking at the debt markets at that time, but everything was just kind of beginning to fall, right? And reading. And, and so um, out of that, though, we had this sort of aha moment in, I think it was 08, probably along that time. And somebody came into our office looking for a loan. And what happened was his loan got sold and it, it was a, I'll call it an $8 million um, face value on the loan. And somebody bought it for $3 million and they wanted him to pay it off in, you know, six weeks for $4 million. And, and we're like, well, that's where we want to be. We don't want to be, you know, in this deal of $4 million. And, and our whole strategy just sort of shifted into buying debt. Well, that lasted a few years till the debt markets normalized. And then it sort of evolved into the value add space. So, you know, it's risk management is really something that is core to what I believe my partner believes. And I always tell people it's not, you know, a lot of the things what you do doesn't define you, but what you don't do. Right. And so we don't guarantee loans. We don't cross collateralize assets. We don't use a lot of debt. Everything we do is about 35 percent equity. And it's when you get into a crisis, you can't make those decisions. You only get one time to make the decision. And even in COVID, um, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen in March and April and May and June, but we knew that we made some really good choices, that we were in growth cities, that we were in the right asset class, that we were in multifamily, that we used a lot of equity in our deals, that we had the right team behind us. And those are decisions that 
you know, we're like, we're good, right? We're going to be as good if better than anybody else. Now, at that time, we thought maybe we were going back into an 08, 09. We didn't know. And it was time to, to buckle up and we made some decisions. But I would say that, you know, you, you have to have the right strategy. You know, everybody, a lot of people, they want to look at the, the upside, right? If things go right. Well, things do go wrong. And you have to decide, are you doing all the things that matter? Are you in the deal with the right people? And I would say that's the number one thing. And um, if things go wrong, are these the people who you want to be with, right? And, and I will say that in my lifetime, when I've justified the, the deal because it looks so great and I sort of didn't do enough due diligence on the sponsor, the person running it, that's where things have gone wrong for me. Not the deals. We're all, you know we're all investors. We understand macro environment risk, but it's all of a sudden when you have a bad actor, they'll find ways to be bad, even when the deal does well in, in good times and, bad, and especially in bad. You have made me breathe so much easier because you've taken the words right out of my mouth. Folks, I've said this time and time again, you can have the best deal in the world. It could look spotless, but if the operator, if your sponsor, a bad sponsor, and take a good deal down. I would rather invest in people, in people that know what they're doing, that have great track records, that are just good people. And I'm talking about the whole circle that have the background that you have, Michael, that have tried and true uh, evidence that they can do what they say that they're going to do. So thank you for mentioning that. And there's a, again, you are giving us so much information, Michael. Thank you so very much. Are you well, Peely? If I can just add to that, you know, um, we we're very. David and I are still the largest investors at our company across our deals, and and that's you know alignment is everything when you're going into these um, you know these opportunities. And I would tell anybody out there, you know, the higher the IRR on a deal is, the farther the faster you should run away from it because. That's, you know, what I've seen out there is, is these high, like we've never played that game. And I have to tell you, it's been challenging and it's been an internal dialogue when we're coming out and our fund says nine to 11% and you have competitors going, Hey, we're going to get you 16 to 18 or we're going to do this. Or people don't understand, you know, how IRR actually operates or, or multiple uninvested capital. There's a lot of education that needs to go on, but it, it's, couldn't agree more. It's people first. The last thing you should look at are the deal returns and the fees, right? If you don't see value in what the sponsor is bringing, right, and, and everything else, and you don't feel comfortable with them, don't look. But there's a bias to what we do. We're like, oh, God, a 22% return. Well, if it goes wrong, I'll probably still get 12. No, actually, those tend to be binomial, you know? It's, it's crazy because I see these numbers on other people's deals, and I'm just like, how? I I. I don't even know how you're going to be able to do that, but okay. If you, if you trust that operator, let's run the numbers. And normally I can't even get to the same numbers. And I, I'm in this market and let's talk a little bit about this market. Actually, before we go there, I actually want to reiterate why I asked you that question as to what we've been saying. It's your track record. And I wanted to know why you are the way you are and why you have been able to to navigate the waters that you have. And it's because you are, you have a fear of failure, which is something a lot of us do, but you're different from me. I actually have a fear of risk. I am not risk tolerant. I, my husband is the one that has no fear of risk. I'm the one that pulls back first. I'm just like, ooh, that doesn't look good. 
but that combination has worked out for you because you've been able to navigate through these waters by making those smart decisions, by doing the things that you knew you needed to do based on the information that you saw, not what you were hoping for it to be in the future. Again, for those people that didn't hear me in the back, based on the information that you have. So like when you look at a deal, you base it on the information that you have. You don't base it on the future returns base it on the information that you have. So Michael, thank you for thank you for jumping into that and letting us dive into a little bit about why you are the person you are today and why you are somebody that somebody would want to put their hard-earned funds into. So thank you for that. So wait a minute, can you repeat the question? There was I was listening. So there was no question. I was just oh. thanking you for, for oh. going into your past and letting us know a little bit about what makes a good sponsor and why or yeah, yeah, thank you. is a good thank you, Julie. Sorry, I thought there was um and I'll just add we're all you know, so many of us are doing the same thing. And if you're an investor out there and you're looking at deals and we're doing a ground up de development deal and another sponsor is doing a ground up development deal, and you're looking at 10 of these. Well, well, they all kind of should cluster around the same types of returns. But if you have an outlier, you really have to question that, right? How are they underwriting? How are they doing things? And we've always adhered to institutional standards when it comes to underwriting. And, and all that means is that, like, I look at risk. Trust me, when I say that I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take calculated risk. But when we are at our credit committee meetings, I dial into all the areas where we can lose money, right? And if all of those can be solved, right, to a reasonable degree, and you've, you've eliminated all the objections, then, you know, like you have no choice left but to say, okay, like it's good real estate. I trust our team. They've done a great job underwriting it. We stress tested it. But, you know, at some point, if you want to make more than 2% on your money, you have to take risk, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch in investing. Um, but that's also why we have just a prolific deal funnel. And we'll look at, you know, more than 500 to 1,000 deals a year so we can get down to those 12 to 15 that we might buy, right? And looking at that universe and understanding um, those risk-adjusted returns across different cities, across different assets, across the capital structure, I think that gives us a distinct advantage. And that's just how my partner and I have, have set the firm up because we don't want to be beholden to even one strategy. We want to be able to be tactical. So in today's market, we're not doing anything in the value-add sector because value-add to us doesn't make sense logically. Value-add is trading an existing project that's 10 to 15 years old is actually trading above replacement cost. And then when you put 10,000 or $15,000 per unit in it, and then you have to assume that you're going to get a premium on top of all that. Well, now you're $50,000 above today's replacement cost basis matters. We don't want to be there. We're building and we're lending in today's market. And those are the only two things. And if the market continues to go our way, building the margins are only going to be that much better you know, and lending is just a way to protect our money. So tell me a little bit about what you're offering to investors right now. You said you have a prolific deal funnel, which is not something that I hear quite often because normally I have to question that because a lot of the people I've talked to, they say, you know what, deals are kind of hard to come by. They ha they're having a hard time getting deals. They're having a hard time dot, 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 fill in the blank. Yeah. How are you able to source deals and how are you able to 
help more investors that way. We're not doing anything in that middle bucket that I talked about, build, buy, or lend. And there are exceptions to the rule. And candidly, we haven't looked at a value add deal in over a year and a half, 18, 20 months. We do have one on the table, very interesting deal. It was tied up by a sponsor six months ago. It is a, a deal that is by, being bought out at certificate of occupancy. So it's a ground up development. And that's one that we can't ignore because it looks like we're getting about a $25,000 per unit edge and something like that. So I absolutely agree, agree that deals are, are very, very difficult um, to find out there, if not impossible for us. So where we've decided to focus is um, in the ground up side. And, and the ground up side gives us a distinct advantage. Um, first of all, entering markets, you're in Tennessee, you know how hot it is down there. If we wanted to go down and start competing for, for deals that were core plus and value add, you're going to get 25 people at the table. And that project is going to get bid up to points that just don't make sense anymore. And it doesn't. This is why we're going into ground up development, though, because we're working with sponsors, we're helping them with general partner capital, taking down land, um, doing a lot of things, but getting in to the funnel much earlier and upstream. So we have this pipeline of opportunities. And to us, our funds are more buy, fix and hold rather than buy, fix and sell. So the ground up opportunities are more of a, a build decor. And it's a better way for us to get into a market like Tennessee, Austin, Phoenix, places like that, where prices have just gone out of control. Right now, we have more than 3,000 units under construction. So when I talk about you know prolific deal flow, it's almost entirely in the ground up development side. But the other side of the equation is our preferred equity program. And oftentimes, if we're, we're still out there, we're actively looking at deals, um, core plus value add deals. And if we can't make the numbers work, you know, a lot of sponsors will come to us asking us for debt, preferred equity to bring the, the leverage up from 65 to 80% could be on a development. It could be on an, um, on a stable uh, kind of a, a value add deal. So those two ends of the spectrum um, is what we're looking at right now. And it's, it's a barbell approach today. And until we find more normalization in the market, this is going to be the future. Fantastic. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Before I let you go, two more questions. How can sure. people find you? Let's start off with that one. How can people find you if they want to know, know more about you and more about how to invest in you? Origininvestments.com. Go there. And you can connect with any of us um, right on the website. So we actually have a chat box. We make it super easy. But more importantly, if you want to peruse our offerings, you can fill out a simple form. You can download a deck on any of our opportunities out there. And you can connect with somebody directly in our investor relations department as well. Fantastic. And then for all of my investors that are listening to this today, whether or not you are investing passively or or your sponsor, what is some crucial advice that you can give to some of my listeners as they're jumping into their real estate journeys or as they're trying to level up as you did in their journey? We touched on this a little bit and I, um, I mean, I, I think there's two different people there to talk about. And, and the first is if you're going into this as a business and, and you really want to like build something, something like we've built, right? Um, you're going to 
you know, you have to figure out what is your differentiator? Why do you exist? What are you going to do better out there? And, and that's, you know, for a lot of people that's challenging, right? Well, why, but every company has to ask that same question, surround yourself with great people, work smart, um, and, and find a niche out there and do something. And I would say that if you're a passive investor, on the other hand, um, it's about people. Spend your time finding the right people. Uh, all too often, I think, you know, especially for those who are doing individual deals and they're spreading themselves out amongst, you know, multiple sponsors. Well, I think in reality, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're creating more risk, right? You might be diversified across assets and investments, but you're, you're also increasing your risk that one or two or three of those sponsors might not be people who you want to do business with. And you're going to find out eventually because no tree grows to the sky. And, you know, multifamily is, is really having its day in the sun right now. And that'll slow down. You know, it won't forever. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, if it does, it won't last for, for a long time, but, um, but it's people. And that's what you really need to focus on out there is vet the managers, vet their track record, their team, their balance sheet, you know, and whatever you can do just to figure out what kind of people they are, right? I love it vet the person you want you need to invest in people before you invest in a deal we did speak about that before but that is something that it goes across all business it goes across all aspects of life it's a people it's a people business it's a people world so invest in people not deals michael yeah the best line i ever heard was problems walk on two feet <laughs> yes they do yes so they true do. problems Problems do walk in two feet. The buildings don't walk themselves. The buildings don't don't uh, don't fall apart on themselves. It's the people that walk them. So, Michael, thank you so very much for coming on the show. I am so grateful for you. Haley, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. And to all of my listeners out there, if you love what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. It would mean the world to me. And then go check Michael out over at Origin Investments. He has, it sounds like he has a great team and he would like to get to know you better as well. So thank you again. Grateful to you. Aloha.